This podcast is brought to you by BeatStars, the number one marketplace to buy and sell beats. In this episode, our host DJ Payne One speaks to special guest Busy Work Beats about entrepreneurship and how to responsibly invest time in yourself. To our pro page users, don't forget to check out our opportunities and challenges on BeatStars World for a chance to work with some of the industry's best creators. If you're not a pro page member, but would like to try it out, use the code PODCAST for a 30-day free trial. And of course, don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Enjoy the show. Check, check. One, two, one, two. Can you hear me, sir? Ooh, got the professional setup over here. What did you expect from me? <laughs> I saw the transition. It was like... Whew. It slid into position. This is dope. Oh, I didn't know that had happened. That's something that I had no control over. I thought you were talking about the fact that I just had a mic that wasn't, you know, like wrapped around in a sock with, with duct tape on it. <laughs> Crispy cam, I see you. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I'm feeling? trying. I'm trying. This, this is the same setup that I used um, when you brought me live on, on your YouTube, I think. Mm. Maybe because I'm using a different computer, you just look extra, extra crispy on that cam. Let me turn the... Uh, Maybe my skin is just glowing. I've been using vitamin E a lot, so. I think I forgot Who, the lotion. To say? There are a lot of there are a lot of possibilities here. So how, how are you feeling? Um, number one, number two. Thank you so much for for um, taking the time out of your day and doing this. I know that this was one of the more highly anticipated. Thank you, Angel. One of the more highly anticipated ones. Mm-hmm. Um, for for a number of reasons, uh, I obviously want to talk about some of those reasons, but um, hope, hoping everything is well. So th- thank you once again. Awesome, yeah, I'm feeling decent. Of course, life is throwing its its curveballs. Let me log in on the YouTube so I can pay attention to the chat as well. But life's just throwing curveballs as per usual, and uh, you just got to know to have that Phoenix energy. So I don't think people understand that part. So you're an entrepreneur. You understand there's ups, there's downs. How do we resurrect ourselves? That's the question. Yeah, and sometimes it's a daily process. Sometimes it's an hourly process. Hourly? uh, Break it down for me. Sometimes you have to resurrect yourself hourly. Sometimes things are thrown at you as an entrepreneur and as a creative. I think creative entrepreneurs have it really bad because they're not only invested emotionally in their art, but they're also invested in the entrepreneurship aspect, which is them making a livelihood off of what they love. And so not only is there an additional personal element, but it's like, I got to make money. Otherwise I'm not going to survive. But then I also have to make art because that's how I express, you know, all of my, my energy. And then on top of it, it's hard to express all of your energy when you're dealing with all the hangups of the entrepreneurial stuff. And then it just, it, it's a crazy lifestyle that we've chosen. I'll, I'll say that. That's, that's super true, and that's why, um, like, I only feel creative. Like, like you said, you got to work because you you got to maintain a cash flow. So you got to work to get the cash flow. Now, sometimes I'll hit it big in a month, and I'm like, finally, I feel free, and then I can create. Yeah. So that's why I respect people like Illmind, people like Superstar O. Do you watch Twitch? Uh, not as often as I, I maybe should, sounds mm-hmm. like. Okay, because it... What it does is it, it forces you to be in that creative mode, like creating a song, not just talking about how to mix 808s, but it forces you to create a song live 
and then you you're still continuing your business. So it's not like a halt to your business. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think a lot of people, a lot of producers especially, are now starting to do that. Um, and I think artists are starting to do that now, especially with the whole pandemic eliminating live events. You, you kind of have to get creative. But yeah, I, it's it's fun. Um, I feel like that's what we should be doing anyway, though. It just not and and i understand how scary it is to just turn the camera on and say here's the process for better or worse it's going to happen i might not love the result i might not love every moment of it but you're going to see it and um i know i've done i did that when ted park was in town and and it was a studio full of us and i just said all right we're turning on the camera we're going to do the song me as the producer I have to make a beat in front of all these people. You as the songwriter, you have to write and perform this. And hey, if it doesn't go right, it doesn't go right. But um, we're not we're not going to hit the pause button on this feeds. And and we didn't. It was I think something that people really appreciated because I don't think the fans ultimately care if the song is a hit or not. They just want to see the process and and, and feel like the curtains being lifted. Facts and it's fun. Like yeah. Just being in the studio with some friends, just like listening to them freestyle, they're offbeat a little bit. It's just a fun thing. Plus, you just reminded me, I did a video about, um, what was it, Rick Ross sample beats or something like that. And I was, because the problem with making videos even is you'll go an hour making a beat and you're like hoping that the end result is good enough so that you don't feel like you wasted your time. Right. So I got to the very end of the video and I was like, freak, we need drums. And I pulled up the DJ Payne one kit that you just sent me and that we just came out pulled up the uh the loops the drum loops rarely do i use drum loops like rarely and then i pulled up i forget which drum loop but it fit so perfectly i was like thank goodness because if i would have had to manually program the drums i probably would have messed up that entire video so shout out to you one time yeah no i appreciate that i think so so i guess we can consider our beef completely uh resolved then <laughs> oh yeah, bring up. I'm, I honestly forgot where. What, I, what did I say? I this forgot about it. I, something about me being um, me being a, a cancer on the hip hop community, and how you were in Milwaukee looking for me, and I was hiding in the, in the house. And um, I, no, I'm making all this stuff up. I don't remember. Oh, uh, I, don't, I don't know. What did you say? You don't have said it. <laughs> no. Okay. Maybe yeah, I was speaking about. <laughs> If I did say a cancerous uh, thing, I even thought that about MG the future at one point because they were so spicy. I just was I never understood. And I'm speaking in general because I don't remember all the facts, but I'm no, here to you absolutely did not use the cancer metaphor to describe me. I just oh, made that up. OK, I just remember saying that to, about Taz Taylor. That's why I was like, maybe I said it to other people, too. But this is it's a long story, but uh, I'll even dig into that if you want to. So with your perspective, I guess, back in the beginning, when you were you were a leader, you were a voice, and um, I guess I always saw your brand as like speaking to the, the, like the spam or the scammy stuff. Like, uh, don't get scammed by this. I don't know. It always seemed like uh, I know what you're doing now, which is defending people from their ignorance. Because I do the same exact thing. Like, once you get into business, you can see the BS from a mile away. Do you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. And it hurts my soul. Like I'm, I'm telling you, it hurts my soul when I go to a business yeah. conference, and I'm just listening to these salesmen stand on stage and basically lie to people by omission, trying to make entrepreneurship seem so easy and like passive income and all this stuff. And I'm just like, they are lying to you. Like, it, I want to pull my hair out. That's how mad I get. 
and I, I'm, I'm trying to defend them. Like, don't not don't listen to this guy on stage, but at least have the facts. Like, at least know that this could it's kind of scammy the way he's talking. So I see that perspective. Am I getting that right as to why you speak on that so much? Like that side of the industry, uh, people getting taken advantage of. I mean, I'm consistently having producers contact me asking me, "Hey, is, what do you think about this?" Or, you know, and I'm. My thing is, I am a producer in the producer community. I'm I'm not a guy that makes money off the producer educator space to the to the extent that people think I do. Like I'm a full time YouTuber or anything like that. I just I make beats. That's what I do. And so. Anytime a scam comes up, I'm right there getting the, the emails, getting the DMs, getting tagged. Um, and then on top of it, I'm getting other producers who look up to me as someone that can, I don't know, be a, a myth buster in, in the producer world. It's sending me all these screenshots of emails they're getting and sharing horror stories and talking about how they got taken for $500 because someone scammed them out of a placement that didn't exist or, you know, whatever the case was. So I'm, I'm just inundated with it all. And it seems like every day something new comes out that is just so predatory. And, you know, it. they're trying to victimize all of us. They're trying to victimize me. They're trying to victimize my peers. They're trying to victimize my supporters. And so I don't see too many people speaking on that stuff and I think a lot of people are trying to be political or they're trying to to, um, just not waste their time because they think it's an obvious scam and of course no one's going to fall for that people are falling for it left and right and you know if I have a platform and I'm releasing content anyway I just feel like I may as well Mm -hmm. point it out facts and aren't you an Aries too I'm a Libra no yeah where are you Aries from Mm. We must have had a conversation a long time ago. I'm mixing that up. So you're a Libra, so that's end of October? Yep. Yeah, mi- October. Well, I think it's all of October up until October 23rd, maybe. When's your birthday? 21st. It's coming up. Yeah, man. There we go. Awesome. So the Libra is very, um, that's the, the scale of justice, right? Yeah, so it makes total sense. <laughs> And yeah, I'm I'm with you a thousand percent. I'm glad you brought that up because one issue. Did you cover the five hundred dollar mixtape submissions that a lot of big rappers were doing? Um, we spoke on it on the podcast, but I know that the people at DJBooth.com covered it extensively. So okay. I kind of feel like you know they 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 did like investigative journalism and <laughs> really explained it all. So I don't know what I need to say. They're like the game is going to hit you up or the fat joke. I forget who was involved, but that's when I, it happened recently to somebody who watches my channel and he was asking me, do you think this is a good opportunity? And I'm sitting there weighing it like a businessman. Like why would this huge artist want to be hitting you up for a place on their mixtape, but he didn't listen to your song. It just didn't make any sense. Right. And that actually hit home. And I was like, Oh, this, is, these are the people that you're protecting. Cause he, the person almost went through with it cause it was a big name rapper. And if I didn't say anything, he probably would have went through with it even further. So that's when I was like, okay, DJ Payne 1 is clearly just trying to protect the same way I'm trying to protect. And that's why I asked if you were an Aries, because part of an Aries is we have a natural ability to want to protect people. Mm -hmm. So that's why I asked you about that. Now, since I can't remember exactly how I offended you, that doesn't mean I didn't offend you. So first, I got to apologize, because back then, 
um, I was very competitive. So if somebody was against whatever the motion was at the time, I'd be like, I was even um, kind of adversarial against Ilmine at some points, like just to be contrarian. So that was a weird period. I just talked about that with uh, Ocean on uh, our YouTube channel just a second ago. I think that but, strategy works. But let me, so, uh, my bad, go ahead. No, I was just going to say there's a period in the beginning. I think when we're all trying to get our voice, we are on full on competition mode. Yep. And then when we realize, okay, we're all like, you're you, you're a leader. I have my own space. Uh, whoever, Curtis King, whatever, whomever, MG the Future. Then we're like, oh, we don't have to keep fighting for position. We're already in position. Right, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, there's a lot of dialogue happening behind the scenes between producers. Even producers that in public seem to be competing with one another or possibly... I, I think one example was Ab McCree, right? So... And I and I finally just made a video about it because it was it was on a podcast episode. Figured I'd talk about it, but it was that somebody it, it was the sound design thing. I had made a, a whole actually here on Beat Stars Live I did some sound design stuff. Because um, cause the narrative that, you know, producers should be reselling recycled sound and stuff. I, I don't like that from a creative standpoint and from a legal standpoint, it puts people in jeopardy puts the person who's selling the, the recycled sounds and the person who's buying the recycled sounds in legal jeopardy. So I I spoke on it and I the whole time there's this back channel conversation happening between Av McCree and I. Cause that's, you know, I just talk to people. That's just what people do. They talk. So but no, that wasn't a public conversation. Why did it need to be? So then I put out a video about it. He put out a video about it back and forth and then we started having people coming by saying why why is so-and-so stealing your video av why is pain one stealing your video av why is av stealing your video pain and it was just funny because little did they know that the competition was in their heads it wasn't actually me versus av it wasn't av versus me we were talking about this topic the whole time and neither of us cared if one of us was covering it because one we're covering it on separate channels two we have every right to cover it um, three, we're going to cover it differently. And four, it's a topic that's relevant in the producer community. What's the problem if more than one person speaks on it? True. And and like I said in the beginning, when we're all fighting for this authority, we do consider like somebody even remotely covering the topic as a competitor. So I could see that. Yeah. And I'm even doing it. To... Go ahead. Were you about to say something? Let me mute myself because I think I'm causing a delay. Oh no, I just saw your lip move. <laughs> the um, so for example, um, Av is an Aries like me. Aries is the god of war. Like we're very naturally warlike. So I can see that stepping out of side of Av now behind the scenes. And I'm I love to illustrate this to the public because they don't know how much work goes in, even on a, cr- a content creator level, how much peace you have to organize or how much war you have to organize. So behind the scenes, I've actually helped Av McCree and uh, MG The Future kind of resolve their issues, I think, to a degree, because we realize, like, there's a bigger competitor. And once you establish, um, did you see that meme on Twitter that uh, Flower just put up? Why Flower? The one about the alt-right when I said, like, hip, (laughs) when I said alt-right shortcut on the keyboard for the piano roll. And then you, then you shouted out all the neo-Nazis. Yeah, I, 
<laughs> yeah, because I, I had no idea what that meant. So anyway, that language, you have to create what's called a common enemy. So whenever we want to galvanize a people, you have to create a scapegoat or some common enemy to then put off the negative energy. And that's why, you know, conflict resolution, there's something called triangulation. Have you studied, uh, what's the guy's name? He, he created a book about what desire, like how you create desire. Have you ever heard of, um, dang, I forgot his name. But it's like a triangle. Ah, I forget his oh, name. It, it sounds vaguely familiar. Darn, I forgot his name. That's, that's a shame. I should know his name. Um, but he talks about how important a scapegoat is, even in religion. So did you come up religious? I did not know. Okay. Well, you know, in the Christian church, you got Jesus as the, the scapegoat. Um, or there's a story with, I think, Isaac and his son. He was about to sacrifice his son. And then a, an actual ram came out of the bush, the scapegoat. So what, where did I even start from? I got off on a sidetrack. But I'm saying that behind the scenes, we have to create so much conflict resolution. Um, it actually affects the content that we create. So that's why I'm glad you brought that up in public, because these are the conversations we have behind the scenes. And people don't get to see the hard work that goes in behind the scenes. So let's, I mean, let's talk about it. Let's um, just navigating your journey, creating content. You butt heads probably with a lot of folks because you're all about exposing truth. So have you butt heads and then later made peace with folks or is it just F them for life? Or how, <laughs> how did you go about moving forward? I think surprisingly, I don't feel like I butt heads with too many people. I mean, obviously if, I made a video about the the Instagram scams, all the people that were selling the, the beat selling guides that just taught you how to steal a young woman's profile photos, create a fake page, and then, you know, spam the hell out of rappers saying, hey, my CEO loves your beats. I called that out. And yeah, I had some people threatening me, but, it, you know, it was just the people that were doing it. It was like three people. So I don't I don't really look at that as as beef in the producer community because I just don't respect those people so it's not something that affects me in any sort of profound spiritual way um I feel like I'm pretty isolated honestly I, I you know I, I meet the people that are doing things and I respect them whether it's you whether it's Curtis King whether it's lifestyle you know there are just there are very few people that I don't have or that I do have issues with to the point where I won't even say their names but i've made i've made tons of mistakes i've i think i publicly apologized to to johnny giuliano for being an asshole way back um you know sometimes i'm dead wrong and uh i i don't want to be the guy that publicly messes up and privately apologizes for it um, cause that's something that people have done to me and that has always bothered me. It just, it's, it seemed, um, really cowardly. Hmm. Well, yeah, I think that's a good stance to have as far as making decisions, but I've even, I think what it comes down to is you can be whatever the proper word is, uh, abom- abominably opposed. You use a lot of cool phrases. What's the word? Somethingly opposed. Fill in the blank chat. What am I trying to say? What's the key word I'm trying to say? You can be opposed to somebody very heavily, is what I'm trying to say. Diametrically opposed? Diametrically opposed. There we go. Diametrically opposed. I knew I would use my master's degree someday. (laughs) There we go. Thank you for pulling that out of your brain cells. 
diametrically opposed. So at one point, I and I'm, I'm here to talk about anything. So at one point, I, I was diametrically opposed to the messaging from this uh, creator called MG the Future because he was talking about how funnels were a scam and all this type of stuff. And I was I was upset because I'm like, this is the knowledge that people need to just get to the next level of business. So, and it ties into the whole BeatStars thing because the whole model of business was all about send people to your beat store. They probably didn't even know about email lists at the time. They didn't know about Facebook marketing. They didn't know about any of that before you really started pressing the gas on helping people understand that. And I'm just like, I know how long these people have been ignorant about this topic. So please let them grow. This isn't a scam all the time, just because somebody says funnel. So long story short, what it came down to, I made peace with them ever since, but long story short, what it comes down to is that we, we were just so passionate about protecting our people. That's all we care about. It's just that I had a different perspective. He had a different perspective, but we're doing the same exact thing, which is trying to protect these people and let them see what joy is like, fulfillment, living the life they want to live, because I've seen it myself, and I want everybody else to experience the same happiness. And I think you were doing the same exact thing. So once we all realize, oh, we're really just trying to help people get to their best self, that's when we stop being so like about every little thing that happens. Now, if you if we want to dig today, I'll get into some people that I'm opposed to today. I mean, if you want to get spicy, as they as they <laughs> as they call it. No, I'd ra- I think I'd rather I'd rather be substantive. That's my that's my okay. uh, preferred S word. But yeah, I mean, I and, and f- okay, two things for the record. I I absolutely don't. I was not offended. I didn't even know about what you said about me, and to to the point where even today I don't even remember it, but. Um, you're the one that reached out and said, oh, by the way, I said this. I was like, oh, that's that's a popular opinion. I think it was something about just me being negative, which, you know, I get. And I, and I agree with, with your point that I think all of us are just doing what we think we're supposed to do to give the community, the producer community, um, what we would want for ourselves. Uh, I know that we can't all possibly have the right answers. And I, and at, at a point, and I, I would like to in the future in the near future, make a, a video apologizing for this because there were many moments in my journey where I was ignorant about the whole online beat licensing space quite a bit, very, very ignorant in spite of me kind of, you know, easing my way into it. Now I'm full on, but, before that, I was resistant to the concepts and the practices, and I I spoke on a lot of things that I wasn't experiencing, um, and I would I would like to you know offer some apologies and some clarity on that in, in another video. But what I really want to do today is just talk about you and, and your journey. Um, like I said, this was one of the most highly anticipated conversations, just because I think you've touched so many producers. And you're really the, the guy um, that taught an entire generation of producers and continue to teach an entire generation of producers the ins and outs of their preferred DAW. So in, in terms of education, I, I know you have a, a background that isn't necessarily all musical, like many of us. I mean, I, I went to school for something totally different. What was your educational experience and work experience before you became a full-time music producer entrepreneur? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the reason I was talking about all these relationship things, before I get into the story, 
It's because, it, and um, I'll be going live tonight at 9 p.m. about relationships. If if you guys don't understand relationships, you can make a million in a year, and that could be your limit. You have to understand when you get to a certain point, you have to network. And networking is going to require the skill called relationship building. Like DJ Payne 1 talks to a lot of different folks. So he's seasoned when it comes to different perspectives. He's seasoned when it comes to keeping the conversation flowing. Like, for example, I usually have to write notes for my guests because I'm not sure if they know how to keep a conversation up. So I'm like, okay, we're on step two. Okay, let's talk about blah, blah, blah. We're freestyling right now. That lets me know that he's skilled in this relationship building aspect. Now, going back to my story, that's why I wanted to start out with the the stuff we were talking about, because if they don't understand what's on this side and how to be political and, you know, not phony, but um, uh, diplomatic, then you can get a lot of success, but then be limited if you don't know how to get to that next level through diplomacy. So I'm glad we exposed some of those previous things because we had to make peace, even though I had, I guess, my opinion at some point about DJ Payne One's content. I had to make my peace about it and understand his truth so that we can have this conversation and the conversations we had on the phone and other places and the mastermind group and everywhere else in order to operate and help him grow and help, you know, whatever my vision is as well. So getting to the story, um, I guess the quicker story is I went to school for biology, which is, uh, I went for pre-med. I was trying to be a doctor basically because my mom grew up in the healthcare industry and that's all she knew. Her dad wanted to be a doctor and that just got passed on to me. So I went for four years, graduated from uh, Villanova with a bachelor's in biology and pre-med. I went to go take the MCAT test and I realized I did not, I wasn't spending those four years studying for the MCAT. I was spending the four years just trying to pass and get good grades and survive. So it let me know. I'm like, okay, am I really going to sit here for another four years just to study for a test? And I had to ask myself that hard question because time you can't buy back. And I want to ask you about this. How do you feel about not average folks, but like people who you're investing your energy into, maybe a mentee or a relationship, and they just don't value your time? Like, how do you deal with that? It's frustrating. Um, in retrospect, I, I, I've, I went through that so much from maybe 2002 until about 2000. And, no, what am I saying? 2001 until about 2010. I went through that, just investing in other people, investing time, investing energy, sharing opportunity and it got to the point where I was just wasting my time and all of those people into whom I invested that energy just gave up and I I looked at myself and this is something that I'm happy to see producers getting out of this pattern of feeling like you need other people around you to, to do something important. And that's how I felt. I felt like I needed a rapper. I felt like I needed a team. I didn't want to just be out there by myself. I was afraid. Um, I didn't feel like I had the right personality to be my own entity. I needed other people around me. And all those other people abandoned me. And how I look at it, how I choose to look at it is I learned a lot. One, I learned how to spot bullshit. So I learned a boundary. Um, and two, I learned everything that I learned that, but I was, you know, investing my energy into marketing the team, 
I was investing my energy into promoting the group. And all I had to do once those relationships failed was take those lessons and apply them to myself. And once I did that, all of a sudden, I have a music career. I didn't when I was doing it with with the other people. And now I'm so much more discerning and so much more experienced. I'm finding the right people for me because I I know exactly what I'm doing. I know what I need. I know who can complement that. And uh, they, they see it, too. And so it makes a lot more sense to form a relationship with somebody once you're solid in, in your own goals and your own practices. And so I think <clears> it's, 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 it's unfortunate that time gets wasted, but, you know, you can't get it back. So back. <laughs> hopefully, you hopefully there's re- a lesson. Yeah, you said something really important, which is... At the end, so people like me and you, the what separates us really is that we've gone through so many experiences of being left behind, left out, people just not doing what they say they're going to do, people wasting our time, and all that experience from being burned from like a flaw that we had or a weakness that we had, we said, oh, here's a hole in ourselves. Let's fix that hole. And then we're like, okay, now we're not bleeding as much. Imagine your body, right? I know this is weird. We're talking about biology and pre-med. Imagine a body standing here bleeding and it has a hundred holes in it. So the hundred holes are all the people who are just draining you of your energy and don't have any good intentions. So now you're like, okay, here's a flaw. I'm giving my time away without qualifying people. Boom. Plug that hole. I trust people too quick. Boom. Plug that hole. And all these little things you find out about yourself until you build yourself character up. And you work on those little flaws and then you retain your blood and your flows to where you're self-sustainable and you're not feeling so drained anymore. And that has to burn you like a thousand times for you to really understand what we talked about in the very beginning, which is that Phoenix energy. I said the other day, I'm like, I already died a thousand deaths. I'm not scared to die another death. That's not what scares me. What scares me is not reaching my potential. That's what scares me. What scares me is knowing that I'm on this earth to do something important and then I don't do what the heck I was sent here to do. So I'm going to get back into my story, but there's three main things you guys need to know. One is show love, give people hugs, like build people's confidence up, show them that you care and that they, they're not alone on this planet. Like we're not built to be alone. That's what magnetism is for. There's a positive, there's a negative. So we're built to have attraction and affinity. The second one is be filled with the spirit of truth. Like today, I had to look at DJ Payne one's scenario and look through his shoes as best as I could. I was talking to my best friend, Jacob, about this. And he was saying, I actually want to try this with you before I get to the point, because this might be eye-opening. And Jacob, if you're watching this, and I screwed up, my bad. So just before Shout this call. Shout out to Jacob. <laughs> he's doing it. He's crazy. He's, you got to love that guy. So yeah. he said, okay, he's close your eyes. <laughs> yeah, you're automatically, you're, he's a really good friend, I will say. But he, yeah, that's why he's your best friend. So everybody in the chat, I need you guys to close your eyes. If, unless you're driving. Okay, don't close your eyes. Or running somewhere. Okay, so close your eyes and imagine a red apple. Now, when you're imagining that red apple, is it 2D or 3D? DJ Payne 1. Mine is 3D. Yours is 3D. Okay. Now, let's hold the image of the 3D red apple in our head. And now let's change the red apple into purple. Promises has a a purpose to it. So I want you to honestly say, can your brain formulate a purple 3D apple? 
it looks really ugly. <laughs> now, when I did the exercise, I couldn't, for the life of me, form a, a 3D purple apple. Now, I'm going to try it one more time. Do you have a pet? I think. Yep. Yep. Is it a what type of pet? Cat. A cat. Okay. So, what color is your uh, cat? Uh, like a beige. Okay. Okay. So, let's imagine whatever your personal pet is. Let's close our eyes and imagine your personal pet, whatever color it is. But for DJ Payne one, he is a beige cat. Now, in my head, I'm imagining a beige cat. Now, let's change that beige cat into a white-colored uh, uh, cat. Now, is it easy or difficult to translate the beige into white? It's, it's difficult. It's an entirely different cat. <laughs> it looks like a whole different cat. Right. Yeah. And the whole point of this exercise is to say that we can communicate all day long, but the issue is that if somebody doesn't have, like, for example, if it, it's, I forget what my mentor called it, but the power to step into your shoes, DJ Payne one. So earlier I had to say, oh, he's really just protecting through his lens. So we humans have the ability, I think at age five, to understand another person's perspective through their own intentions and their behaviors. And so, for example, the experiment went this way. I think it was a crayon box. And a three-year-old puts crayons in the crayon box. They ask the parent, um, I mean, excuse me, the researcher asked them what the parent thinks is in the crayon box. They say crayons. And then they take out the crayons and they close the box again and ask the three-year-old, what does the parent think is in the crayon box? And they say crayons. And then so they do it again with like a five- or seven-year-old. They put the crayons back in the crayon box, ask the kid what the parent thinks is in the crayon box. They say crayons. Then they take out the crayons in front of the parent close the crayon box and then ask the seven-year-old, what does the parent think is in the crayon box? And they say nothing. So at some point we developed this ability to imagine or through communication, step into the mind of DJ Payne one to see his perspective of the truth. And that's what I mean by be filled with the spirit of truth. It's not just mm -hmm. your perspective. You have to have a skill to transfer your energy through somebody else's lens and look at the scenario through their lens until you see your side and their side. And once you have those two sides, then you have a more formal agreement on what the truth actually is. So again, show love, be filled with truth, and lastly, complete your assignment. My assignment is to give Bibles. So I say I go so hard in business because I need to complete my assignment. It's not about do I feel like I'm going to fail. I already know I'm sent by the most high to do what I have to do. I'm not, that's not even a question anymore. I don't even question does God exist because I've already felt the source of joy before. So why would I question something I've already experienced? What I need to question is, am I going to tap into my hundred percent self or am I just going to give up and flop and, and do what I've been doing, not getting the results I want. So I'm not afraid of the death aspect. And I think that's something that we had to overcome by having all those scenarios in our life where we were let down a thousand times because now we're like, okay, I got to do it myself then. So that's what I meant by the Phoenix energy. Now, recently for you, you know, what's something that you might want to share with people, the insight you've gained from maybe a flaw that you just recently saw within yourself? Um, I think one of my big struggles is accountability. And so that's, that's kind of why I brought up earlier that I, you know, I, I put out so much content over the years, and now that I'm going back to look at some of it, I think, God, I don't feel that way now because my experiences have changed. I've met people. I've stepped into their shoes. I've filled my own head with, with their experiences. I've experienced things that I, I didn't know were possible five, ten years ago. So 
taking accountability, not just brushing that under the rug and saying, oh, yeah, you know, things change, but just saying, look, I had some opinions that were wrong. They were based on my experiences at the time, but it's a, I, I think it's a flaw for me to look at what I did in the past from the, the lens of the past. I'm smarter now. I'm more experienced now. I can look at it and say, look, I was wrong. It's on me. Let me let me try to offer some clarity and hopefully undo some of the damage that I might have done by putting out that information in the past. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, that's that's amazing that you're. And I feel like on Twitter, you're like the voice that I always look for for like the next thought of conversation. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'll be skimming down the Twitter timeline. I'm like, okay, cool, cool tweet, cool tweet. But then when I see a pain one tweet, I'm like, okay, this is about to be some kind of conversational piece. I feel like that's where you're really shining as far as getting to people's thoughts. Just from an outside perspective, you, you may get fun on Twitter for one. It's want to say that. getting fun now. I don't know what happened. To it. it was boring for like a year and then it made a comeback. Everyone's back on Twitter now, especially the, the producers. I kind of, I kind of love it. It's like the, the, place for dialogue among producers it's kind of like a hidden secret for us <laughs> true you never know what you're going to get in that treasure box oh man <laughs> that's true but I, I love that accountability and um i think this is why so many people and I, how did you word it you worded it earlier a different way you said um uh the people that you've invested time in there was only like a small percentage of people that actually here i'll, I'll reword it but i'm kind of paraphrasing what you said as a leader as dj Payne one i understand this this frustration which is you have insight and you're trying to help as many people as you can now dj Payne one could tell you the exact formula on how to set up your your accounts how to set up your advertising and how to set up your email marketing and he let's say he talks to ten thousand people only 10 people of the ten thousand will actually do the steps that he's saying and that is the most frustrating thing about being a leader is that you think because you have all this knowledge and wisdom that people are just going to listen to you and do it to get to their result. But a lot of people say they want a result, never do anything that you tell them to do step by step. And then you're still trying to invest in time to save them. And you have this like it's called a um, uh, what do they call it? The Jesus Christ syndrome, which is that you have the feeling that you could save everybody. But sometimes people subconsciously don't want to be saved. And you just have to realize, like, that's that's going to be the toughest struggle for you guys coming up. Just realizing that everybody says they want something. They don't actually want it. And that's going to hurt more than you failing is just watching other people not listen to the, the results that they want. How do you feel about that? That is absolutely information that I wish I had internalized 15 years ago because it was painful. What I'll put it this way: I, I was in a rap group um, for a long time with with someone I considered my best friend, and all of a sudden, I have a music career, kind of not necessarily the music career, but I have the door just flies open. Sudden, suddenly, I'm on a number one charting album, and I have access to a whole new world. And I'm looking at that new access as something that I can share with this group and really take it to the next level. So 
I remember I went out to New York. I joined Violated All-Star DJ. Shout out to them. Um, I'm working with, back when Violator had an office, um, you know, rest in peace, Chris Lighty. I met him. I met everybody there. They were next door to a licensing company that, that licensed music, and they got us the opportunity to submit music for the Splice Camp. It's not the Splice Campaign, sorry, the Sprite Campaign um, when, when they had Drake as the face of Sprite for, you know, a season. And they selected our music. We were on the campaign. They paid us $1,500 for one song, non-exclusive. And we're on the Sprice, the Sprice, now I'm combining the two, the, the um, Sprite website. And I'm like, look what we can do together. Look what we can accomplish. I have resources now. Um, all of a sudden, he's on drugs. And, like, not, not cool drugs. <laughs> like, really bad drugs. And... I basically watched my friend, I don't know if, if he's, I don't, I don't know where he is right now or what he's doing, but I, I watched my friend kill himself and self-destruct, and I watched him um, kill his music career and all his prospects, and, and these were shared shared prospects, and that was painful. That That was... You know, because I was failing every day. Every time I sent an A&R or a manager a batch of beats and never got a return, or never got a reply, never got a placement, that was happening every day. Eventually, that stopped hurting. I'm not scared of that anymore. But it's terrifying to see somebody that you care about fail like that. True. And you spoke to something that I learned in the book. I know there's a lot of controversy around this guy. Have you heard heard the author L. Ron Hubbard? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Scientology guy. guy. Yeah, yeah, Dianetics. There's a book called The Science of Thought, um, or the basic. I forget the name of it. I think it's called The Science of Thought, The Fundamentals of Thought, something like that. In the book, he talks about what Grant Cardone talks about hilariously. Have you heard about Grant Cardone's 10x? Yeah. Yep. 10x came from this book. I'm, te- I'm letting y'all know the secret. Okay, so there's. Four, I think four stages of creation. There's create, there's create, 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 which is what Grant Cardone's talk about, 10X and everything, just going hard at everything. Then there's create, destroy, which is like um, creating with counter intentions. And then there's destruction, which leads to nothingness, which leads back again in the circle. And I think people who don't have their subconscious mind set up right, you wanted to create and you were going into your create, create, create phase, but they weren't, it's, uh, what's a car? I'm trying to think of a car, a Honda Civic going on the Autobahn. And the objective is to hit 300 miles an hour. Now, if you're in a Ferrari, DJ Payne one's in a Ferrari, he's, he's polished his car to be a Ferrari. The other person, his friend didn't really polish his car, upgrade his car as a Honda Civic. So now we're pushing 80 miles an hour. We're cool. We're on the same highway. We're going straight forward. Now we're hitting 100. Now the Honda Civic starts to shake a little bit. And now the Ferrari is just smoothly cruising. Now we're at 150. Now the Honda Civic pulled over because they're scared that the engine's going to blow up and the car is about to shake apart. But the Ferrari keeps going up until 250 miles an hour and on and on and on. If we don't have our self, our subconscious mind, the car in this case, ordered, polished, and upgraded, it doesn't matter how fast we want to go. At some point, we're going to reach this destructive, inner destructive force. And I think, I guess a better question is how do you prepare for that? I think we just got to keep 
going through these experiences until we fill those holes. But I'm glad that you're matured through experience. You're not just somebody who's just telling people what to meditate all day long. I mean, do you meditate? I don't want to. I don't want to bash meditating. Yeah, no, I do. Oh, see, I could see. I almost said something bad about meditating. No, <laughs> you're not just one of those people like I right, meditate, drink tea. You've actually gone through some stuff. Now, do you think that translates translates into people's content and music as well? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's it's easier to look at someone's content based on your experience with yourself and with other people and kind of say, all right, I'm sensing that this person might not be as experienced as they say they are. I'm sensing that what they're saying maybe comes from a place of frustration within themselves and not actual benevolence. Um, Not everyone can do that and not everyone who does it is always correct, but I I, I think, yeah, it it does shine through. I mean, you know, when people... People will watch my videos, and sometimes I'll get comments saying, "Man, you it looks like you had a hard day that day, or why are, you seem a little off today." And I'm like, "You son of a bitch! I was. How did you know that?" <laughs> I mean, not everybody. You know, I'll, I'll have a, a great day, and I'll I'll put out a, a video, and people will be like, "Man, Payne, you just seem so angry. You hate the world." And I'm like having the the time of my life. But um, some people can do that, I think. Yeah, you can definitely sense when a creator, like I had to reach out to a couple of friends recently because you can tell from their social media posts, what they start liking, what they start posting, that they're going through some type of phase. And sometimes you got to be aware of that so you can actually hit them up because nobody's the reason they're projecting it is because nobody's talking about it in their personal life. There's nobody to talk to. So they have to project it out, hoping that something will respond. So as a friend, that's just a skill as a friend. You, you got to be aware of these signals to then hopefully address that issue that somebody's having and it will affect your content. And it's happened plenty of times. Like today, like I'm not, my personal life isn't, isn't the greatest situation. So I might be projecting some scenarios uh, from that issue through just the stories that I'm telling. Uh, Or I don't know. Some people get anxious and different things. I forgot where we, we came from because I had a point I was trying to make. What was there the root? What were we talking about at the root? This is why this is how you can tell it's a good conversation because we just go off on these uncharted lands. It was about content, energy, people, yeah, people going through people stuff, being able to oh. tell what, yeah, here it is. internally what's happening. Yeah, self sabotage. Here's about your your friend's story about destroying the opportunities. Here's something that you I want to hear your your experience about this. Is And we'll be talking about it tonight at 9 p.m. on my YouTube channel. I'm going to be talking about romantic relationships, though. But through romantic relationships, I've seen this the most, which is somebody can have the best opportunity in front of them, the best conditions, the best environments, and still their subconscious mind will find a way to self-sabotage and destroy the opportunity. And it happens all the time. That's why we made that metaf- I made the metaphor about the Honda Civic and then the Ferrari. You got to work on your receptive receptivity is that a word receptivity probably receptiveness i don't know receptiveness <laughs> i think re- i know receptiveness is a word <laughs> whatever the word is so you got to be a giver and a receiver if you're not able to receive you're going to keep self-sabotaging over and over and over and over again it's a constant learning i mean you're going to constantly learn that do you have a mentor like that you claim is your mentor <sighs> Uh, 
I guess nowadays I have a few. Um, they might consider themselves peers, but they're people I look up to. Who? I mean, you want to name them or are you keeping them secret? Uh, no, I mean, Mike Trampy is one. Um, Dream Life is one. Uh, there are people in my life, like Tina G is one. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate to have a lot of good people in, in my life, good and honest people that are holding me accountable, are giving me non-reactive advice and, and sharing the best information that they, that they can. Mm-hmm. Reason I asked was because in order for you to level up, you have to have mentorship, for example, or somebody ahead of you. Excuse me. And a lot of us make the mistake of thinking we know it all. Like I had to make it very clear and I'll just kind of put it out there. There was somebody who asked me about YouTube and about wise channels and growing. And this is a personal conversation. It wasn't paid or anything. We we're just talking as friends because I want to see him succeed. And I, I think it was, the phone conversation went on for like an hour or two. And I told him, Hey man, like you've been talking about 40 minutes of the hour. I think I talked maybe 10 to 20 minutes of this whole hour. And I said, the reason you're not seeing results is because you're not listening. <laughs> you're not listening to the person who actually has the results and has the experience and is telling you step-by-step step. you're talking. And by him talking, even just talking, it's a subconscious mechanism that uh what's the word justifies that he thinks he knows the answer and so he's trying to put the blame off on this and that i'm like you don't know the answer so just you got to be receiving so whenever i'm around a mentor for example that's a good way to practice receiving is just trying to i I put up an instagram story that said the only words i've said to my mentor is thank you you saved my life that's six words in my entire lifetime that i've said to a man that made me over seven figures in all his trainings, I've studied his stuff nonstop from top to bottom, day after day after day after day after day. And I only said six words to him. Now, imagine how much receptivity you have to have everywhere else you're trying to be successful in relation, romantic relationships, in your, in your business dealings. And I really don't think people have that muscle built to receive. I think everybody thinks they know the answer and they think that's why they're not connecting with their audience. What do you think is the biggest mistake people are making just trying to get their the ball rolling as a producer, content creator? Yeah, I think um, to, to speak to that, I think what a lot of people are doing is deciding that they know what people want and then providing that rather than asking or rather than researching or rather than really giving it some thought. Um you know, for example, this is what I heard, and and I tweeted this um, just because I thought it was funny. Uh, and I and I this is something that I learned from my own ignorance. When I first started uploading beats online, I thought, well, the only beats people want are the ones that are that sound like current mainstream music. So I should probably figure that out. And I remember Dream Life saying, no, that's not what people want from you. They don't want that from you. They want your soulful. That That's what I like from you. That's what people like from you. And I got to thinking, every beat I've ever placed from Ludacris and Rick Ross to Jeezy to um, the game to, you know, Cool G Rap, whoever it is, even even the recent, the more recent ones like Russ or um, 
Sammy and Little Baby, it's like they all f- had something in common, which is that they felt like timeless, soulful. At least some element had the timeless, soulful feel of you know the hip hop that I loved, the timeless golden era sound. So I just said, you know what? I I don't care what people what what I'm gonna try. I'm gonna take his advice and. That helped me a ton. That's why I say Dream Life is one of my mentors, because he said that. He was able to tell me something I didn't want to hear, and I was able to receive that and change my approach. And I I benefited from it. I succeeded from it. Rather than argue with him and say, no, people want trap beats. Uh, people want you know people want me to re- remake a million Jetson beats. No, let Jetson have his style. Why do I need to, to encroach on him? I need my own lane. People will appreciate that more because they're not coming to DJ Payne one to hear someone else. They're coming to me to, to hear me. And I think that's a mistake a lot of people make. They, they assume people want something and then they deliver it. And when people don't respond, they blame the people. Oh, you said they blame the people. That's interesting. Through memes, through tweets, <laughs> They're like, mm-hmm. look, these people don't know what's good music. That's funny because now that you said it that way, my the video that I told you about this the when I pulled up your drums, that video was a Rick Ross video about sampling. It was like a sample sample Rick Ross beat, and I was like, who better drums? So I associated that with your branding. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's exactly the the point. The, having that brand association, it's not just about your colors or your logo it's it's about your sound and how your music makes people feel period it's it's right down to i have the word pain in my name people always say you make pain music um cash money ap makes music that that makes you feel rich you know it's just that's what it is that's the branding Hmm. dang i remember your stuff you used to put out on twitter years ago now that you said it like the dang that hurts and the what was your creative names back then? Was it always dang? I don't want to say dang because you're on YouTube. I ain't trying to F up the video. No, but did, was it, what was the names of your, it was either a mixtape or it was a sound. Oh, painkillers. I had painkillers. Pain that's it. Yeah. Okay. Pain and that was a mixtape? Damn That Hurt. Painkillers was a mixtape series and then Damn That Hurt just kind of became the thing that I was doing because I, I felt like that, and that, that was totally intentional it was a product of me sitting down and brainstorming like what is going to be what's going to be my thing you know i can't be like everybody else um drama has gangster grills what do i have you know what i mean what's my branding like because i you know i'm a dj and a producer so i had to, to to be really intentional about my branding so that's what i that's what i came up with and i kind of um what's the word i kind of focus grouped it with with some friends of mine and we just went with it to see how it worked, and I think it worked because it tied everything together. True, it was I like the, the play on the name and the what is it called product line extensions and all this. Mm-hmm. That's I remember that from a long time ago. Whenever Painkillers was out, so that was when I didn't have as much of a I don't want to say intimate because that sounds weird didn't have a much of an idea of what your personality was. Even your branding stood out. I specifically remember this is years ago about the painkiller series. Now, yeah, we didn't talk that well. I, me, cause I wasn't an FL studio user. I, I was just aware that everybody I knew was a student of busy works pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. 
And I was like, damn, you know, if I ever want to switch to FL, I know where to go. Mm-hmm. True. Sometimes, like, I asked this to uh, Ocean in our recent YouTube video, podcast, whatever you want to call it, conversation. And I was just like, when was the point where you felt like this was real? Like, that you were changing people's lives for real. It could have been a comment, but what was that definitive point where you felt that responsibility to go hard? God, I don't... I think... I can't think of one definitive moment, but I know for me it was when I started touring and people were showing up to the to the tour dates and saying, yo, I, I saw your video and it really helped. Just because suddenly this is a human standing in front of you. It's not just text. And sometimes the people didn't even know who I was. It was just my presence at the event and the music that I was playing, if it was music that I made, that inspired them to walk up to me and tell me that, that they felt something. It was just, it was it was different, you know, because you grow up affected by the music you listen to. You never think you're going to have that effect on other people because it's such a personal thing. You know, like when, when I'm, when I grew up listening to, you know, whatever I was listening to public enemy, whoever I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to have this impact on someone else. There's no way. Cause this is just, you know, you're, you're listening to the music, you're by yourself, you're learning from it, you're associating it with the memories of, and the, and whatever's happening at your time, at the time and your surroundings and where you are at that point in your life. And all of a sudden you're doing, it. and you know, for me, like, I just, I don't want to talk about it, but, um, cause it's not out yet, but yeah, I've, I've been doing a lot of records with public enemy. It's just, it's just a crazy, uh, I never would have guessed it. it. It's it's just crazy to reflect on it. But I, I would be curious to hear when it became real to you because you were obvious. And, and I read something that and it's funny because our stories are similar. I read that you started putting um, FL Studio tutorials up just for your friends. You weren't trying to make them public. Uh, I can't say I wasn't trying to make them public, but I was, that's a good question. So, okay. So we're talking about the live thing and then this, but yeah, it started in a Facebook group and I was in a Facebook group where a guy was trying to sell us on how to, we all bought his book on how to sell beats online. Funny enough. And we all had a common interest and we were all producers and we started talking, giving feedback. I remember it was fun to give people feedback and then people would be like, my bass doesn't sound like whatever. So I would just be like, oh, I can help you with that. And I made a video on YouTube just because that was the place to put videos. And then I uploaded it to YouTube and it was only meant for that person, but it ended up getting however many hundreds of views, whether from the group or wherever else. And then another person would ask. And again, with music production, you can't just be like, you can't type out how to like precisely chop a snare in, in whatever doll you're using. And then... Some things you just can't type out. Like sound design, you cannot type that out. I don't care how many books you have on sound design. You can't type out what it sound sounds like. And it was in that realization. Then I just saw the numbers going up. So I was just genuinely helping a friend about his specific topic. The numbers went up. It just was that positive feedback cycle. So I just was like, oh, YouTube is the thing that's helping me grow. And then I just went in on YouTube. I think I bought a YouTube course on how to 
do better on YouTube for like nine dollars, and just just I, I don't remember the definitive point where I went all the way in, but I do remember student loans were becoming real, and I was scared. So I was like, freak, I don't even have a job. Nobody's hiring. They all want eight years of experience. I'm like, how am I supposed to have eight years of experience coming out of a school for four years? There's no, even mathematically, it doesn't even work. Even if I was in the lab the whole time, mathematically, there's no way I could have eight years. So I was like, this is all a, a sham. It was all a big lie. They sent us to school to take our money, put us in debt so we could work for them the rest of our lives. And then I was like, freak, student loans are coming. And I had to make something happen. The only thing I knew was when I used to make beats on my laptop before a test, before a biology test, I would always like procrastinate and do all this random stuff. I used to make it a joke with my roommate. I was like, you know, we have a, um, we have a genetics test time to make beats, time to cook some popcorn time to just like, we would do everything else except (laughs) study for the test. So I just happened to fall back on music production when I went home for the breaks and when I had downtime. And I met up with friends who are freestyle all the time. We would have a lot of fun. And I didn't realize that was my real desire. I always thought that, I mean, medicine did excite me, but then I saw other stuff on the other side of medicine. Were you ever in the health fields? I feel like you mentioned it once. No? No, I was in education, but yeah, really, really similar story. I actually loved school. Um, I really did. I would have stayed, um, but then... It was like as I was in in grad school, all the number one album stuff happens. I'm like, well, I can't let my mother down and not get this this degree. So I got my master's, and I was like, all right, cool. Now it's time to just quit my jobs and, and do the do the music thing. But yeah, I mean, I think so. Go, I, I just want to go back. We were getting a bunch of questions, and damn, we're already at an hour. Are you you're not in a hurry? Are you? Uh, I was saying today's the most time restrictive I had all day. I was the main thing is your thing, and then I have something at seven, which is a while from now. Okay, you like how I how I loaded that question? Um, so we have some. We we still have a bunch of people in the chat, so I do want to ask some of their questions because I have all these people uh, asking questions. But oh, to, go, to go back to what you were saying with the Facebook group, so you were in this Facebook group um, because you and and some some peers had purchased a how to sell. Beats online guide. What year was that? Darn, this is 2000. Was I in high school? Maybe like 2000, before 2009, somewhere around there. 2008, maybe. Okay, so it was probably still SoundClick. Oh, it was definitely SoundClick days. Yeah, it was yeah. definitely SoundClick days. And um, I remember his name. His name was Dame Main Beats. Dame Main. Was it a helpful course? To be honest with you, I don't remember the, the course. I just remember the experience of being around the people in the community. But then the, it was and so those weird. network opportunities are everything. It wasn't even, I didn't see them as like powerful people. I just saw them as peers. But the funniest part about the group, though, just a fair uh, warning for people trying to build communities, was that the community turned against the leader at some point. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was the craziest Facebook group I was ever in. But they flipped the script, started their own, and then it was never the same. But sound click days for sure. And now, obviously, the beat licensing has only grown, and you have so many people now selling courses and guides and this and that, how to sell beats. There are a lot of producers who want that. 
um, I try to give as much information just as freely as possible with, with this uh, platform, for example. What what advice from someone who's been through that earlier era, um, seen a lot of courses, seen a lot of beat selling gurus come and go and been a mentor? What what advice do you give to a producer who's at that point where they because there are a lot of producers in the chat right now, Jam Beats, for example, um, she's going through the same thing that you were going through with the student loans. What advice do you give her and, and people like her who are just trying to find the right information and, and trying to build their their careers from, from their passions? Mm-hmm. I'll say two main things that people... First, I have to, uh, to uh, address an objection because the number one myth and the number one objection is you didn't sell beats, so why do you have advice on how to sell beats if you, if you don't currently sell beats online? That's the biggest objection I have. Same objection I get is, oh, you don't have placements. Why should I listen to you? My response is this. I've worked with a billion-dollar company worth more than every artist people have worked with combined, and that's only one deal. I've worked with the top companies in the audio space, $600 million company Sweetwater, Isotope, Arturia, ImageLine, who made FL Studio. I work with all the top dogs, and I always tell them, I say, how does Drake think? What's a Drake placement to Drake? This is interesting because you brought this up earlier. A Drake placement to Drake is a Sprite placement, it's an Adidas placement. Like he's not looking for an artist to be his placement. And I'm just hoping producers can just think bigger because Murder Beats thinks big. He thinks brand. He's not just worried about the records. He's looking at like, how can I link up with a gaming company so I can come out with my own chairs and my own mouse, my own mouse line. That's how big you need to be thinking. Use the music as like Jay-Z uses it. Have you seen that chart with Jay-Z's uh, assets like categorized by how much money it's making? No, I haven't seen it. I'd be interested. It could be a rough estimate. I think music is like 20%. I forget the numbers, so I'm just roughly saying 20% is music. Then you got, I'm doing the math on Let's just say 20 million is music. 300 million is his, uh, his uh, champagne line. 100 million is his you know, rock, rock, rock aware and uh, apparel lines. His other deals, titles, another huge portion. So music is just the fuel to get all these other things done. And it goes back to that teachability index. If you're not teachable, then you're not going to learn how to sell stuff. And you, I've learned sales from a guy who sold um, cars, a guy from who sold uh, education products, a guy who sold live events. My mentees have been people in the fashion industry, the fitness industry, the music industry, the film industry. This stuff is universal. It doesn't matter which industry you're in. Selling is a, a mindset. It's a step-by-step process. It doesn't matter what you're trying to sell. I can sell apples. It's just I'm not in the Apple market. I don't have influence in the Apple market. Why should people listen to me? So we all choose different markets. And that's the objection I had to clear because the information I want to share, people, if they always had that skepticism in the back of their mind, why should I listen to you? You don't have an online beat store. Beat star is selling the same prices as I. There's certain principles. So let's go back to that that first question because you had two questions. One was about uh, you said Jam was her name or Jan? Jim G G E. Oh, Jim. Beats and she's talking about student loans and then what was the other part to that? Uh, just you know, people are trying to to find producers are trying to find information. They're trying to turn their their love for music into a livelihood, oh, and there's right. just so much out there. Okay, here's what it was. It was it was transitioning from a job. 
Okay, so here's two things, and I know I'm, I'm wordy, but this is important. Take a deep breath. <laughs> okay. So in the beginning, every single bare, every single um, minimum wage job or bare minimum job, earning job, you exchange time for money. That's every job in the entire world that's minimum wage. You're exchanging your time for money. It's not necessarily skill-based. You're trading your time for money. They pay you because you're on the clock. Okay? That's the, the first level in making money is exchanging your time. That's the only thing everybody has is time. Now, rich people are smart. They don't sell their time anymore unless it's very high-value time. So you have to create a system to transform the time that you're spending into money that you can later exchange the money for time again. And so in the beginning, take your job where you're exchanging your time for money. Save 10% minimum. This is actually a principle in the, the Richest Man in Babylon book talks about pay yourself first. It just means automatically save 10% no matter what. Okay. So you take that 10%. Now that's the money you can now invest in your own business over time. So you're, you're spending 80 hours a week at your job. You take 10% of that. And now you invest it in your side business. You take that money, you hire employees, you get the systems you need, you get the email autoresponder you need, whatever it is. And you try to buy other people's time or a service that can help you save a lot of time so that you can use your spare 20 hours of that week and invest it in your side business. I did the same exact thing. I used to work at the university's, um, what is it called, dine hall or their, uh, where else did I work? Basically, I was a swiper and I could do my homework while I was at work. So that's why I did it. So I took that money and on the side, I had a YouTube channel, but I had to wait like months to get paid because this is back when, excuse me, YouTube had those payment thresholds. I think it had to be over a hundred bucks and I would only get paid like every two months. So this was money that was actually supplementing me getting through college. So my full-time was college. My part-time was the part-time dine job. And my third, second part-time was the YouTube revenue. So those two part-times were letting me survive so that I can spend full-time at university because you had to pay for food and pay for uh, some things, gas and everything else, not housing necessarily because I had a scholarship, but still I had to pay for some stuff. So after that point, I then a switch flipped after school. Since now school's not an obligation of my time, I now have full time access again. So now I take that all that time and I put it into one of those part time elements, which in this case happened to be the YouTube element because it was something that was making money. It was a proven thing to make money, whereas a part time job wasn't proven to go above seven dollars an hour. It was limited. So now I'm taking time, investing it for money. Now I'm taking even more time that I found, but invested in something that gives me just a little bit more money for my time spent. So it's not necessarily exchanging money for time yet, but at least we're getting more money for our time. After that point, you then take the money that you're earning from all those things that you're into and buy your time back through employees or systems or whatever you need, BeatStars accounts, can you imagine sending an email every time somebody wanted to order something? First of all, you would get disorganized. And second of all, people would get pissed because they're hitting you up at 3 a.m. Germany time <laughs> and you're asleep. And so people get mad about that. So you have to have systems. So you take that money, invest it into systems and processes and a team and whatever else you need. And then you get to buy back your time again. And that's how you get out of the rat race. It's not something where a lot of people tell people to quit their jobs and all this. But ultimately, it takes time. Time is the only thing that everybody has. It's just where do you invest that time? So that was my long, rant, my long roundabout answer to the job element. There was another portion that you asked about, though. 
was it sales? How to sell stuff? Uh, well, let me, let's let's run down some of these questions because oh. th- th- I think that might uh, be embedded in some of these. So Red Panda earlier wanted to know if you recommended any music producer books or any books that help with these concepts that, that you're um, throwing out there throughout the conversation. Nope. Just watch people's YouTubes. You're going to get more information from DJ Payne One and myself because we're living books. If you read a book right now, whenever it was published, it's already outdated. Because mu- music moves so fast. But that's the fun part. It's, it's always moving. There's no... Even if you learn how to do sidechain compression, the next artist may not use sidechain compression in their music. So you got to keep moving with the times. Keep up with the leaders. Keep up with DJ Payne One. Keep up with myself. Find the leaders and just leech from them. There's no book. There's no magical business book that's going to change your life. If anything, you guys need to study other types of books. And if they want a list of books I recommend, we can get into that. But it's not music-related. So Jay said, um, and this is directed to you, you mentioned not wanting to not live up to the potential and purpose. What edge do you over not worrying about the financial part? Not worrying about the financial part of, that's kind of confusing. So I think what he's asking is what made you focus less on uh, squeezing money out of your time and more on spending time to serve the purpose. Oh, gotcha. I think that's his projection onto what I said. That's not what I said. I said, I'm living my up to my potential and I'm not afraid to die. Meaning emotionally, spiritually, I've already died a thousand times. And what I'm saying by living up to my potential, I had to realize, okay, if my assignments to give Bibles, guess what that's going to take a network of people to even give Bibles to, and it's going to take money. Bibles are not cheap. They're not free. So I have to earn money for one. And I have to have a network of people that actually want them. So to do that, you have to have a business or some kind of income to even make that happen. So that's when I realized I'm not demonizing money. And I think subconsciously that person just demonized money as in opposition to his purpose. Like, oh, I should do everything for free because that's what I was meant to do. You, What's her name? Um, who's the, the saint? Or what's her name? The old lady that went around the earth. She was super peaceful. And she was like a nun. What is her name? Mother Teresa. Guess how much Mother Teresa was worth when she passed away? How much? Hundreds of millions of dollars. She was not some poor lady walking around the earth. So that's why religion tends to bind us financially. So if you wanted to get into that, I mean, we can get into that. I, th- I think um, being a creative does, too, also. I think creatives, uh, we, we have a whole vocabulary to describe people who make money off their music industry plants, sellouts. Uh, you know what I mean? So it, it's it's similar to, to the, um, I guess, religious guilt that, that people feel. Um, here's another question from Jem. Uh, she says, I want to do everything I've seen you recommend, but I'm overwhelmed with paperwork and chores. I guess that's not really a question. Uh, as far as and the that's, job. that's one of those. Th- yeah, but everyone's going through that. I, I, I don't know. Do you have any insight? Yeah, I was going to speak on that. So I think that's an excuse. And it goes back to what you're saying about accountability. How, like if you mapped out every hour of the day 
you have 24 hours in one day. You sleep for maximum eight, so that leaves 16 other hours during the day. You work for eight, assuming that you're working hardcore nonstop all eight hours, which most of you are robbing your employers. You just say you're on the job for eight hours. You're not working for eight hours. And I know because I have a team and I monitor my team and I know they're not working every second they say they're working. So in theory, you're robbing your employer for eight hours and you're calling it eight. Okay. Then you have another additional eight hours to do what with. That's your time that you can invest in anything. And when I ask people, what do they do with the extra eight hours a day? They're like, I don't know. It's not like you're commuting anywhere. Some people may commute. That eats up a lot of time. Even if you're commuting, are you absorbing information? Are you learning? What are you doing during your commute? How are you eating up the other eight hours of your time? Most of the time, it's social media, texting, talking to other people on the phone, and you just drain all your, your, your bank account. All you have is time. So if you keep spending, like it's a bank account, if you keep spending the coins of time in your bank account, there's no way it's going to grow. If you keep spending. So that's what I have to say about that. I think it's an excuse. Maybe you needed the reality from me. I don't know. And I've, God, I don't know. I didn't attribute this to anybody. I think it was Bufo. He asked, um, Busy mentioned on his channel during a live stream that it was important to have one's beats on more than just one platform. Can he elaborate on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Everybody needs a hub. They need a central location for everything. So, for example, my customer support team, we have a hub called Zendesk. And I just I know this, and it's so in my, fresh in my mind because I had to retrain them about it. So there's one place where everything comes in. Email tickets, social media stuff, everything. Or most of everything. So that's where they go for everything. Now we have other systems that they have to understand, like our payment processor system, our premium membership, our standalone course stuff. They have to have knowledge of our, what else do I train them on? Um, we have multiple payment processors, Stripe, Shopify, PayPal. We have to go into two old systems actually about premium membership. It's a long story, but my point is there's a central location for everything. And that's, you have to decide where your central location is going to be. Is it your own website? Is it your own asset owned website and domain? Is it your own hosting? And here's, I want to ask you about this. Do you feel like you have to own your domain and own your hosting and own everything about your website? It's funny because I, I talked to that. I, I talked about that earlier on today's podcast because there is this idea that if you don't own all of those things, you know, you're, you're, um, or, or that if you do own all of those things, you'll, you'll be a larger, a greater stakeholder in your success. And I totally disagree because say I didn't use BreedStars, right? I would have to create some system to automate everything. I would have to pay for my bandwidth. I would have to, um, find tech support through somebody else. I would, there's a lot that I would have to do and I would have to work a lot harder to direct an audience towards that page because there's no built-in audience the way i look at it i'm saving not only money but time from using BeatStars, and you know it's not that much of a for someone buying a, a annual membership it's it's really not that uh that expensive and then on top of it you know there are so many other tools that I spend money on because I'm just not going to waste my time doing it because I don't know 
and I'm going to end up spinning my wheels until I get frustrated for hours out of my day when I could just continue doing what I know is working for me and letting someone else handle it. True. I agree with that a 10,000% because here's why. I've gone through the iteration. When you build your own website, it's cool. It sounds cool. You're like, I own everything. I own the domain. I own the hosting. Problem is I started on WordPress. Do you know WordPress? Are you familiar? Oh, yeah. Now, WordPress is known for their plugins. So imagine WordPress is like a DAW, and you can get plugins. It was like that. But I made the mistake of getting way too many plugins. <laughs> so what happens is I thought, I was like, okay, I own the domain. I own the hosting. I put everything on my server. And the problem comes when you have way too many plugins, and let's say one plugin doesn't update while the other ones update. Everything comes crashing down on the back end. And it becomes more of a headache to own all the little micro components than just buy somebody's already working solution. I had to learn that the hard way. I used to have my own server. And I mean, I still have my own server, but I used to rely on my own server for everything. Now I'm like, why don't I just link up with these systems and leverage their integrations, leverage their uh, automations, like you said, with the, the payment processing alone, just small stuff like that. I don't need to own everything about everything. That's a small way of thinking. You can own 100% of 10,000. I'd rather own 20% of 20 million, which is 4 million. You can own 100% of 100,000 all your life. Great. That's not going to be a big result. Let me do the math. Let me make sure. 20 million times 0.2, yeah, 4 million. You're, <laughs> you're brave. You're really brave. When I throw out math, I, I just stopped doing it because I'm like, I, I can't do this. But yeah, again, you were a biology major. I was English. Um, there was another question from Jim. Let's let's say we have ten minutes left because I know we're already beyond okay. the time. I, um, I know how this posting. We're like freak. We gotta. I know how it is when you have guests on and like there's no set thing. We're just freestyle talking. Yeah. I get it. Go ahead. Well, the good thing is there's nothing happening after this. So in, in, unless Beatstar schedules something after this, then, then we're a little a little stricter. But, my voice. Um, so Jim said, from a legal standpoint, and this is a question that tons of producers, I think it, it, it kind of shows me where, when, when, when a producer asks this question, it kind of shows me the stage of the game they're at, um, and, a, and a ton of producers are at this, at this stage. She says, from a legal standpoint, what does a beat maker need? <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't, I just keep seeing the Rakesh Singh dude. <laughs> saying respected sir i'm rakesh <laughs> what is youtube no he's in twitch i i'm sorry uh -oh. i can't get rid of the guy he posted like a a dick i'm sorry that you guys had to see it it's just a penis <laughs> we'll all we'll all survive <laughs> if you can't if you can't laugh at the the subsequent comments that he's leaving <laughs> wait they allow you to post twitch pictures in twitch it was like an ascii penis <laughs> oh, like the drawn out ones with the text? Hilarious. Yeah. That's even funnier. <laughs> I'm thinking like some terrible picture with a bad angle. No, it was it's not like what what ninety nine point nine percent of female Instagram and Facebook users get in their inbox. Um Funny. it's a little nerdier. That was a nerdy it was a nerdy text based phallus. Um so anyway, Jim, I'm so sorry. Jim asks, from a legal standpoint, what does a beat maker need to do before they post their beats? Before they post their beats? Well, firstly, I had to learn that I tried to learn as much about copyrights. First, there's so much about the nuances, but I talked to my entertainment, one of my many entertainment uh, attorneys, 
And I was just like, this guy, he knows this like I know sound design. Why am I trying to learn 10 years of stuff when he knows it? So I would actually advise instead of, that's a simple question, but I would actually advise you guys get in contact with these people. Do you have like a Rolodex of people they can reach out to as far as entertainment lawyers? Yeah. And, and the beautiful thing now is you have so many entertainment attorneys using social media. And so you're not only able to network them re- with them regularly, but you're also able to see what they're posting, kind of read their energy. And a lot of times you'll make a mistake, hire just any old entertainment attorney and you come to find out, and this actually happened to me, come to find out you just placed a sample based beat. They're representing you on the contract after the fact you find out that they are anti-sampling, so they didn't actually advocate for you, but you, you they still sent you an invoice. Um, so, you know, talk, seeing, you know, guys like Carl folks, seeing, you know, what they've done for producers. Um, there are a lot of uh, producer advocate lawyers out there, um, and I forget, oh, I'm sorry that I forget his name, the guy that um, represents Internet Money, uh, all, all these guys are active on social media. Um, oh, the woman that so so I, I my attorney that I've worked with forever, um, Navdeep. She's on social media. Um, there's also Cassandra. Oh my God, what's her last name? Hold on, I'm gonna look this up because she represented us. Um, mm-hmm. Cassandra on Blank our, on, on our uh, Cassandra Spangler, I've had her on before, um, and she, and and she represented us on the Thank You Bufo. She re, she represented us on the recent Russ placement. So there are to Birdmanzo. Shout out to Birdmanzo. He's not a lawyer though. He's a manager. He manages Internet Money. They have a lawyer, um, a dedicated entertainment attorney, also whose name I forget. <clears> but yeah, they're. I think nowadays they're way easier to find. So these are. These might even be questions that you can just tweet somebody. Mm-hmm. Now, the question was like, how do you, what was it, what do you do before you put it up online? Was that the question? From a legal standpoint, what, what does a producer need to do before they post bees? Mm-hmm. See, the reason I said that's more complex is because every time I think I'm going to ask, first of all, my representation for these matters is Ash Kernan. So if you guys look him up, he's really knowledgeable. I mean, to the point where I learn a new word every time we get on the phone. And I'm, I consider myself smarter than average. <clears throat> he opens up my vocabulary like crazy. So every time I think I'm asking him a yes or no question, he gives me all the other options. And I didn't realize it's way bigger than what I thought it was. So you, this seems like a question where it says yes, no, this, that, but there's all of this other crap that you got to consider to, to get to the thing. Like, for example, are you going to sell non-exclusive? Or are you going to sell exclusive? Are you going to have a limitation on your licensing? Are you There's all these like questions that you got to go through. But ultimately, in the beginning, do you need to have everything perfectly mapped out right now? No. Just do it. And over time, you could get the money to pay for lawyers. They're not really expensive. I mean, they might be 250 an hour max for this type of question. So what I would recommend, though, is... Hmm, do do Okay, so this question reminds me of when people ask, when should they start an LLC? I didn't know about LLCs when I started BusyWorks Beats. I was a self-proprietor for like a year and a half. Then I learned about LLCs. Then I formed an LLC. Then I learned about trademarks. So I formed a trademark three to four years later. You're not going to know everything in the beginning. That's kind of the point of being an entrepreneur. You have to learn it yourself. 
So I think you're overly, you're asking a question, but the question is really, again, this is Jim, right? So again, this is another question that you're asking because you don't want to face the reality that you're not going to do what you say you're going to do. You're using this as an excuse to get away from actually taking action. And your other question was the same exact way when they said that, how do they balance their, what was it like their time and their family or their job? I forget the other question, but I want you, Jim, to just identify all this stuff that you're asking as, and you're asking a question, not as a question, you're doing it so you can justify why you're not doing something. You're like, oh, see, I didn't know that answer. So I couldn't go do this thing. So that's your, your inner justification. You got to maybe have a friend just go through and look at all the ways that you're trying to use this stuff as a scapegoat to get out of it. Yeah. And I think just to kind of tie that all up together, your, your refrain of, I'm not afraid to die. Of course, that's, that's figurative language. Um, but that is something that I've learned over time by, you know, playing it safe and really finding, um, little bits of progress to taking bigger risks and finding more progress. And it's, it's at the end of the day, all I will say is I'm not going to tell people you need X amount of dollars to start a business. You don't. I'm not going to say you need X amount of knowledge to start selling beats online. You don't. I'm not going to say you need a team to start selling beats online. You don't. I'm not going to say you need a lawyer or a manager. You don't. I'm not going to say you need placements. I'm not going to say you need the, the best logo. You don't. All you need to do is do it. And the more you do it, the more you'll see what you need. And the more you do it and the more you fail, the more you'll see what a path to failure looks like and what a path to success looks like. No one will know, and I talk to people all the time who ask a ton of questions, um, but their questions are their hurdles, which is ironic because questions are meant to guide, but a lot of people's questions actually impede. And so a lot of people say, well, before I start selling beats, I want everything perfect. Before I release my new single, I want everything perfect. Those people never release music. Those people never release beats. Um, I think if I were to sample everybody who was a top seller right now, if you if you went down the Beat Stars charts and looked at the top twenty top sellers, most of them have huge, huge, huge holes in their knowledge base about the music business, but they're just doing it and learning as they go, because they love making music, and that's what is fueling them. That's right. been my experience. Um, when I got my first placement, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I scrambled, I rushed, and I made mistakes. You know, 10 placements later, it's a way different situation. I know exactly what I'm walking into. The funniest part is I'm glad you you said it way better than I did or could and did. You reminded me of something. Uh, when I was starting the business and I just learned about advertising. All, the only thing I knew was this get people to know you. That was it through advertising. Grant Cardone talked about it. I spent ridiculous amount of money on ads. And I, the only thing I can measure 
I didn't know how to do tracking. I didn't know how to do retargeting. I didn't know how to do anything back then. And I was just putting money into the ads and just whatever. So the only way I would measure it was how much I spent that day and how much did I earn that day. That was the only way I was measuring, even though that's the terrible wrong, the wrong way to measure. Because it might take somebody a week to buy something. So I was measuring completely wrong, basically not knowing anything. I did better in advertising. I did better because I wasn't trying to micromanage every little tiny decision. So I think sometimes knowledge makes us make worse decisions than just doing stuff. And that sounds um, risky, but I've had better results without knowing that much stuff. Because now I know oh, my ad budget. Now I know about retargeting. Now I'm trying to get the perfect audience. And before I run this ad campaign, everything has to be perfect. It has to be tracked every single type of the way. Now there's too many little things in my head and I won't take as much action as I should. And it's funny because we see it all the time. It's the reason why people who are aging look at young people and say, oh, they're having so much fun because they're careless. It's kind of like that. You know, the people who don't know better are just having fun putting music out there, not knowing what the hell's going on. And then all of a sudden, little by little, they have one breakthrough after another and their path is, is revealed. Um, but we're, we're at an hour and a half and BeatStars is going to kill me for this because I have to get them timestamps for this episode. So once again, shout out to everyone tuning in. Uh, Busy work, shout out the best ways to consume your content, get, get in touch with you, so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's impossible to contact me directly. <laughs> and uh, the best way, just hop in my live tonight at 9 p.m. We're going to talk about romantic relationships on my YouTube. I think it's a good conversation because a lot of you guys are missing the network relationship talks. So we're going to bring on a female perspective. It's going to be my male perspective, her female perspective. If you guys want to have more fun, you can continue the conversation there. But as far as contacting me, I don't. There's no way I'm giving out my personal contact. You can hit up my team, but that doesn't mean it's going to get to me. But info at I meant more people. social media wise. Instagram. I know I'm being a I'm being a complete <laughs> jerk to try and teach people that it's not that easy. Sure. Even social media, I don't answer my DMs. I'm being honest with y'all. So hmm, just tune in tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern time, on my YouTube channel. We can talk in the chat there. How about that? Yeah, I know that you're really engaged with um with the live uh with the live questions. Awesome. Well thank you for like, you know, again, it's rare that you can just without notes talk to somebody. So I'm glad that I could have a decent conversation. And I'm glad we could resolve, you know, our beef. <laughs> no, just- uh, yeah, our long-standing, vicious <laughs> beef has been spilling over into other avenues, other people are involved. There have been <laughs> You know, fights and fire bombings, and it's so. Yeah, this is a this is a joyous day. Everybody, put your weapons down. ZJ Payne, one of Busy Works, have solved it. Um, nice. You know, the 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 rainbow is out. The the storm clouds are gone. Uh, shout out to all of you. This will be archived. Um, Beatstars World is the spot to check that out, or Beatstars Live, or Beatstars YouTube, or my YouTube. It's it's all there. Uh, once again, shout out to all of you for tuning in. Appreciate you, Busy Works. Peace out. Peace.